how do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Oh, I haven't done this with you in a long time. I know, it's exciting. It really is. <laughs> Welcome to Rabbit and Red Radio. Joining us tonight, we have a very special guest because uh, if you haven't heard the last episode, um, there was a little tension there and, uh, well, the unpredictability of Mike and his production has kind of ushered him out the door of Rabbit and Red. So joining us tonight, we have the head honcho of Legion Podcasts. The one, the only, Mr. Bo Ransdale. What is up, man? I'm so <laughs> jazzed to be doing this. I know, we were talking offline, you know, you know, a little peek behind the curtains to the listeners, but like, like the front end of this whole conversation was like, why don't we do this more? <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, you know, obviously it's it's. Always a, a disappointment when, um, you know, Mike can't be here as well. Uh, but fortunately, John, as a special surprise to you, I have here one Ryan Lewis. Uh, hello. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> That's a terrible impression of it. But yeah, yeah. The Like, uh, I, I don't know how many current listeners of Rabbit and Red have listened to the, the Grave Shift radio stuff. But this, in a lot of ways, just feels like a reunion show more than anything. It almost is. I mean, ah, uh, God, that... I have to say, out of all the shows that I've been a part of, that is really the only one that I can go back and listen to. There's just something about that. Yeah. The dynamic, everything is just, ah, oh, it was gold. Yeah, it, it was a really, really fun show to do. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate that it, it kind of became untenable for everyone involved, but uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a great time and... Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's one of those shows that when you go back and listen to it, it still holds up really well. It doesn't, not, not that it feels dated or doesn't feel dated for that matter. It's just that like, oh yeah, like all of those episodes still feel like you're just hanging out with the guys and which was always sort of the intent of that show. And, and I think, you know, God bless Ryan, man. I mean, without him, none of that stuff work. He still has the the sexiest voice in podcasting ever oh that's that's totally true and going back and listening to it i i it doesn't matter how many times i've heard it i still crack up i mean something i will never forget is clowny mcdick dick i mean <laughs> oh <laughs> you're right 
I, I had always forgotten about that Claudia McDig thing. Is, is, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that, that should be on all of our tombstones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yes, it has been a very long time since you and I have got the chance to sit down and talk. So I have to ask my friend, how have you been? Uh, really well, man. Um, you know, uh, been concentrating a lot on on the network as a whole and, and trying to get as many different kinds of shows, uh, as well as doing my own stuff, which is, is, is a good time. Um, but I, I've really taken a lot of pride in making the network a place where there is kind of a show for everybody at this point. Um, like if you like movies, especially horror movies, it kind of doesn't matter where you're coming from. There's probably a show that's going to fit your particular ethos. And, and I really like that, man. I, it's one of the things that I've always, uh, striven for in, in my personal life, uh, is to, is to be around people that don't all agree all the time and, and don't all sound the same. You know, like I, I've always found that that's a, a continuing problem that uh, we have in this culture is that you tend to kind of stick in your own tribe and, and get the same ideas reinforced over and over again. And that's comfortable, but I don't think it helps anything at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the, that's a very high minded answer to your question and I apologize, <laughs> but it really has been the thing that I've been, I've been working the hardest on. And I have finally gotten into a place now where I'm like, I feel like the stable of shows we have, you know, I'm sure one will come up here or there, but I, I, I sort of relaxed recently where it was just like, huh? Okay. I feel like I've done that part of it now. And, um, but a, a, aside from that, man, you know, on a, on a purely personal level, uh, outside of the the podcast stuff, um, yeah, I've just I, I've I've been having a great time. I've I've I recently here's what I did, John. I mean, <laughs> I you know those movies you have where you're like, man, you know, I I should watch that again, and then you don't. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so about a week ago, I had a run where I watched all of those movies. Uh, took a, a couple of days off of work. I was just kind of tired and whatnot, and um, ended up watching like Night of the Creeps and American Werewolf in London and Tales from the Crypt Demon Night and like all these movies that I love and I never really watch anymore because I've seen them a million times, and I just I felt like watching them all again, and I did, and it was great. It was <laughs> it, it was one of those things where like you forget the simple pleasures of life oftentimes. And, uh, and man, I had, I had a legitimate blast. I watched, uh, American werewolf in London and silver bullet in the same night back to back. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And I don't care how you slice it, man. That's just a good time. Oh, hell yeah, man. <laughs> uh, you, you can't go wrong with that much werewolf, especially quality werewolf like that. Well, and, in fairness, like the the silver bullet werewolf looks kind of dopey, 
Uh, it looks like a big German Shepherd most of the time. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> but compared to a lot of the werewolf films out there. I mean, it, it's a far cry better than uh, what Howling for the Marsupials or whatever oh, that geez. one was. Um, or even, oh, geez, did you ever see that remake of The Howling or the, the name that was or the movie that was called The Howling? No, I completely avoided that. Oh, it was rough. That's a real <laughs> bad movie. There is barely a werewolf in that film. <laughs> um, it's mostly people with a. It, it, it's not as good as the werewolf effects in Howling 2. Really? Oh, Howling 2, it, it, by no means a good movie. Uh, no, no. <laughs> but Howling 2 puts the Howling remake to shame. <laughs> Which is uh, actually uh, an analogy that I have posed for the SATs. You know, one of those, the Howling 2 is to the Howling remake as that that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> it's been rejected over and over, but I'm, I'm sticking to my guns. Um, but I, I'll tell you, the thing that makes Silver Bullet great, even though that's not the movie we're talking about tonight. Um, the thing that makes Silver, Silver Bullet great is how good Gary Busey is in that movie and how well he grounds it. The fact that he has so much doubt about, it, you know, what his niece and nephew are up to, I think kind of makes it okay for the audience. Right. It, it makes it easier to digest. You know, you can kind of go along with it because the, the leaps in logic aren't there. Right. Like he is, <laughs> He is the first person to uh, to say, in fact, one of my favorite lines in any movie ever is him saying, I'm a little too old to go play in the Hardy Boys meet Reverend Werewolf. <laughs> Still a great line. It's, it's fantastic, but it, it sums up his character so well of like, look, I love these kids and and I want to help them. But at the same time, you know, let's be a little bit realistic about what's happening here. Like, yeah, he maybe there's a crazy person, but werewolves are totally out of the question. And to me, that makes the movie work so much better than it would if he were uh, immediately on board with helping, you know, Marty and I don't know, whatever the girl's name was, Megan Fellows. I don't remember the character, Janie. That's what her name was. Janie. That's it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and and then, but conversely, I watched that, and then before that, I had watched American Werewolf in London, which of course has the best werewolf special effects, uh, at least until you get to the original Howling, which I like those werewolves more, but I like the transformation more in American Werewolf. I completely agree with that. Uh, I, I I do really like the transformation in the Howling, but... <sighs> American Werewolf in London, that, that transformation is just iconic. I, it, it's, it's, it's what I think of, you know? Right. I mean, before that, we had uh, the Wolfman. And, you know, for its time, that was great. And even now, it, it still holds up. But it, it's it just, that's the progression right there. And I haven't really seen a great one since then. Yeah, which is kind of a bummer. Like, when when they did the Wolfman remake, there it was such an opportunity lost to say like, Hey, we've come a long way. What if we did cutting edge practical effects and then did just 
a, a little bit of digital sweetening to make sure that none of none of the seams were showing from that. And it seems like you could have done the most mind blowing transformation uh, transformation sequence. Um, he says, combining words, uh, tra- <laughs> transformation uh, is the Algonquin word for Great Lake. Um, but, but, but yeah, it it feels like that should have been the holy shit. The bar has been raised yet again. Sequence, and instead it was just all digital, you know, nonsense. I mean, it's fine, but. The fact that Rob Bottin was on on the cast list, or you know, not cast list, but on the crew list, um, to to be doing those effects, and then you just did it all digitally, and it's like, yeah, but no matter how good digital is, it all still looks kind of fakey. You know? That's the yeah, yeah. I mean, we're just now kind of getting to the point where I can buy it. And at that point, we we were not there. Uh, a practical transformation with you know CGI assistance could have been mind blowing, but I don't I I don't know. Did they just not want to invest the time and money in it or what? But yeah, they they kind of they kind of fucked up there. Past that though, I actually I actually kind of like that movie. I, the first time I watched it, I wasn't a fan, but going back now, it's just like eh, at least they actually made it a monster movie. So much more than I can say about the mummy. I mean, oh, oof. yeah. So we're doing. Hey, here, here's a little egg of knowledge I'll crack on uh, your listeners. Um, so we've been doing that pick six movie show. Uh, me and my buddy Chad, who uh, the whole show is basically designed to give us an excuse to sit down and talk to each other. Like I've known Chad for about thirty four or five years, something like that. Like we knew. So the length of my life. Yeah. I mean, we've known each other (laughs) since we were in kindergarten. And, uh, so the show was really his idea for, Hey, how do we just come up with an excuse to hang out and, and talk about movies that we would talk about anyway. And, uh, the reason I bring all that up is, uh, because the next season we're going to do is movies based on universal monsters and one, right, so we're doing like memoirs of an invisible man and um, kind of the shitty ones, right? Like we're doing <laughs> uh, uh, the bride and uh, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with Robert De Niro as the monster and stuff like that. So you know the ones that are of more questionable uh, content, and right. um, but the mummy, the 2017 mummy, is on our list. Uh, because of the reason you talked about, like that is that is the best example I can think of of a movie that doesn't know what it wants to be. You know, is it an action movie? Is it a horror movie? Is it uh, a hero film? You know, the, the, all that dark universe stuff. Um, which I believe, if I am not mistaken, we were still doing Grave Shift when they started talking about that. I I want to say you're right, and and even at the time, uh, I feel like my attitude about it uh, was the same then as it was now, which is that's a stupid idea, and they should stop that. <laughs> so, uh, and it seems like they have. I I haven't heard anything about that Bride of Frankenstein remake. Um, what else were the Invisible Man with Johnny Depp? I haven't heard right. anything more about that. I, I um, think it's is it gone? 
from my knowledge, uh, they haven't scrapped the idea altogether. What they have done is halted everything and actually fired the, uh, I can't really say showrunners, the, the program runners, the, the guys in charge of the universe right. and, and are looking to go in a new direction, which they desperately need to because what should ground these films is horror. And it, they seem to want to avoid that when they made the mummy because the scale that it was on the actors, I, it, it had potential. Yeah. But then they were just like, how do we make this the Avengers <laughs> instead of how do we make this a really good horror movie that we can have a universe that all this shit exists in? They don't have to come together. Just have a dark universe. That's fine. Call it that. And then, you know, we'll get a glimpse of a guy and then guess what? We'll get a movie about him and he's the werewolf or, you know, shit will be moving in the background in one scene and you'll just be scratching your head like, what the fuck's that? And then we'll get a movie where, well, you'll see that scene and that's part of the Invisible Man movie. You know, just build an actual universe where they don't have to converge together to fight, I don't know, Satan. What's the only other thing that monsters could fight? Right. It, it's illogical to bring them together. Yeah, it... Right, because they're monsters. They, it, right. they they either fight each other or humanity. You know that those are your two big <laughs> options. And and to me, that was the fundamental misunderstanding at the heart of the dark universe stuff. Is that the things? Even if Frankenstein's monster is ultimately sympathetic, he's still a bunch of pieces of dead body sewn together that kills people. Right. And you can't lose sight of that. And and that seems to be, especially with The Mummy, you know, spoilers for 2017's The Mummy, by the way, don't watch <laughs> it. Um, you know, is that they tried to make the villain ultimately part of the hero. Like, you know, of, of, of trying to have The Mummy serve as the radioactive spider that bites Tom Cruise right. to make him... You know, mummy man. <laughs> it, it's like, well, that's stupid. I don't care about mummy man. I want, I like. It was always a, an uphill battle to make a mummy movie that worked anyway. But leaning into, as you said, you know, turning into an a, Avengers film, where it, it, like, oh, by the way, here's Doctor Jekyll and that kind of stuff, and you're like. Yeah, th this could work, but just not in, in this context at all. And, right. And there were cool moments. I mean, it, the, some of the action scenes were really good and that kind of thing. Right. It just doesn't all work together in any way. It, it From one scene to the next, it feels like you're watching a different movie. And, and the, the, the one thing I do have to praise on it, though, was the scope and the size of the sets and the way they use that. It really reminded me of the original universal monster movies but everything else just didn't work yeah yeah it was a it was a real bummer but um, i i will i will tell you this the only way i am on board with them continuing in this manner and bringing them all together is if this is some grand secret way of doing a remake of the monster squad if that's <laughs> If that's finally how they all come together where, you know, Dracula's masterminding this and then they just remake the Monster Squad. That that's the Avengers. I 
Oh. If, if like at the end of the next remake of the Wolfman, it the the post credits uh, tag scene is like a little note of somebody writing in a journal of like, so we've been studying uh, this new Wolfman uh, closely for the past six months, and we believe he does in fact have nards. <laughs> And then you know, <laughs> dramatic music and and fade out. You you got to have the book slam closed, right. and then like a a, a, a hard close up of Fat Kid, right? Yeah, of him like pouring like an oil lamp glowing beside him and stuff. Yeah, I'm to- totally on board. And this scary German guy oh puts his hand on his shoulder. It's like yes, yes, Fat Kid. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, yeah, there'd be there'd be tears of joy streaming down my face. <laughs> I wasn't on board, and now I am. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to start a Kickstarter for this movie. <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna kickstart the Dark Universe over just so we can have an extended Monster Squad movie, <laughs> right? One that, that we'll build it all up to that Monster Squad Part One and Part Two. Of well, naturally, yes. Yeah, yeah. Now everything has to be a two-parter. So yeah, you end with uh, the the revelation that the girl isn't a virgin <laughs> is the end of your Part One. Like, <laughs> oh my God, this ceremony will never work. She's not a virgin. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> the Monster Squad will return summer 2022. Oh, this shit just writes itself. I, I'm telling you, man. It, <laughs> it, it The fact that someone hasn't backed a dump truck full of money up to us already. Just like there should have been a, a, a sort of a spider sense of like somebody <laughs> is coming up with a really dumb idea that would probably <laughs> make a lot of money. <laughs> and we need to buy yeah. this right now. Yeah, because it would obviously be family friendly. Every monster movie would have to be PG thirteen. Yeah, and I, I don't have I don't have a knee jerk problem with with PG thirteen horror as a rule, uh, just because of how much I enjoyed watching Poltergeist again recently. And I was like, man, I I don't know that this movie would have made, been made any better if it were an R rated film. You know. I, I completely agree. There are some horror films that an R rating is just not needed. The The only time that I see PG-13 and I'm just like, eh, is when it's a slasher film. Right. Because how can you truly do a slasher film justice PG-13? Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, there you, you have to be the movie you are. It's the reason that Deadpool would never work if it were PG-13 and it, it's fantastic as an R rated film. Right, because you need that character to be irreverent and vulgar and 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 pushing the envelope of good taste and all that, and yeah, a slasher movie, if you don't show the blood, which is kind of the p g thirteen vibe, right? It's just hey, you can be violent, you just can't show the repercussions of that, whereas that's what a slasher movie is about, like we'll talk about it when we get into toolbox murders, but <laughs> the uh that is very much a movie where if you don't have the money shots, then that movie doesn't work. 
You know, it, it, it has to be gratuitous. I completely agree. And on the gratuitous note, I have to say that, uh, uh, I disagree with your review of terrifier. Uh, you mentioning before that, you know, variety is the flavor of life with the, the, uh, the group here. And, uh, I thoroughly enjoy terrifier. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I'm never going to tell anybody they're wrong for enjoying a movie. I, I just couldn't get there myself. I, It was, like, I, I see why people would like it. But it's the same reason. The the, the reasons that, ever, that I've heard people give for really enjoying the movie are the exact same reasons that I didn't. And it, it just, it hit me the wrong way. And I, I completely get that. Right, like... If if there had been a little more <laughs> meat on the bone was the phrase I was going for. That's probably <laughs> inappropriate. If, if it had felt like some of the violence was a bit more earned as opposed to the violence being the point of the movie. And I just wasn't on board with that, you know. I can completely see that. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I had seen All Hallows Eve, oh God, when it came out. I wasn't overly impressed with it, but yeah. just kind of the the throwback vibe of this. It, it did feel like it, it belonged in the '80s, almost minus the cell phones and shit like that. But I, I thought it was. I don't know. It just kind of scratched that itch for me, one that I haven't had, you know, in a while. So. Yeah, well, when you're watching Toolbox Murders, I mean, I know we're kind of talking around the movie we're going to talk about, but it, it's such a good example of a movie that if you made it today, it would be incredibly problematic <laughs> because of, of the way that the violence is presented. Right. And that's exactly the way that the violence in Terrifier is presented, whereas I feel like, well, Toolbox Murders gets away with it. Because it was made at a time when, you know, there just a lot of the social discussion hadn't happened yet or hadn't reached the the modern point. And with Terrifier, it was like, yeah, yeah, fuck all that. We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> and, and, and I can, there's part of me that respects that. Because I, I like a movie that'll go for it. I would much rather see a movie that I have a, a violent negative reaction to than than a mediocre one. And even if Terrifier doesn't work for me, like I said, I you you catch me on the right day, and where I'm just like, you know what, well, I'm I'm taking off the PC pants today, <laughs> and I'm just gonna let the old grindhouse balls flail in the wind, and you catch me on that day, and Terrifier is one of the best movies I ever saw. <laughs> uh, and and the the thing that had me probably on the other side of that argument was a movie called uh, Gunwoman, which I like a whole lot, which is incredibly exploitative, but it also feels like the violence is very much earned, that it does land in a place where the rampant violence directed at women is ultimately leading to the woman in the film having agency over her fate. And that plays better for me personally, as opposed to Terrifier, which is just like, hey, 
the women in this movie are there as meat for the grinder. You know, that don't expect a lot of characterization, don't expect that they're going to have a whole lot to do uh, in terms of saving themselves or, or saving each other or anything like that. They're just there to be the pin cushions to one degree or another. And, and that's a very 70s, 80s kind of vibe. And like I said, you catch me on the right day, I'm probably down with it. I just, I, 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 it just wasn't my jam. I get that. And, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I, I, I don't argue the fact that it was well made. And in particular, the, you know, the bifurcation scene that happens in what, like the first 15, 20 minutes of that movie, um, is impressive. Like it was one of those things where I was like, I ain't never seen that in a movie. Before. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't enjoy it again for, you know, largely personal reasons. I didn't enjoy it, but I, I did not doubt the sophistication of, of the effect or the fact that it was well done. You know, I just wish it had been in service of something a little more, um, I don't know. Maybe uh, higher mind is probably the wrong way to go about it. In service of something that felt a little more uh, uh, philosophically sound, that there there was a point to it. Yeah, I think I think that's your biggest thing is you couldn't really sink your teeth into a grander story. I, I think if they they had involved a larger plot, then these girls just happened upon the wrong person. I, I think you could have probably got behind it. Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm okay with so many more other kinds of slashers is that there seems to be sort of that moral underpinning, even if your morality is, is sort of that 80s morality of, hey, if you are uh, smoking pot, if you're having sex, like that's what that's, that's what signs your death warrant. And even though I don't necessarily agree with that philosophy, it's a consistent philosophy and I, I can get down with it and understand where the movie's coming from. Whereas again, something like terrifier, it didn't seem to have that level of consistency. Like it didn't matter if you were the good girl or the bad girl, either way you were going to go down. And maybe there is a philosophy in that as well, but maybe I just wasn't in the mood for that kind of nihilism. Uh, maybe. And, and, um, I don't know, and part of it too, uh, like I don't, I don't want to be overtly political about it. In fact, very much not. Um, it's just that because we live in such a world now where there, there are such extreme takes on things. Like everybody's got a fucking hot take on everything. Yeah. Uh, that I'm just like, you know what? I, it's just not the movie I want to see right now. It's just not. I don't need to be. I, I don't. I don't want to be watching the movie that's grabbing me by the lapel. And being like, take a look at this motherfucker. What do you look at? The, she's getting sawed in half pussy first. How do you like that? I'm just like, whoa, 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 man. <laughs> hey, how about we all just have like some, some hot tea and, and relax for a second. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's mellowing in my old age or if it's just like there, there is such. Uh, a, a simmering rage in everyone you run into these days that I'm just like, the less rage I encounter, the the happier I kind of am. Um, weirdly, it was, uh, have, have you seen Hereditary yet? I have not. I, I meant to, and I just missed it in theaters. Obviously it's, it's really good. At some point we'll have that conversation about it, 
But one of the things, uh, this, I, I swear to God, this will not spoil anything for anyone. Um, one of the things about Hereditary that almost put me off of the movie is there is a large family drama element to that film that was also incredibly um, acerbic. You know, like it's intense. It's it's the kind of uh, family drama stuff where you're like, I ain't ever heard a mother say anything like that to a kid before. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Where I was like, this is amazing, but it is so uncomfortable to watch. You know, it it would be like, like have, <laughs> here's something everyone can relate to. Have you ever been at a friend's house when you were a kid and their parents start arguing and you know that some of the shit that the parents are saying to each other are things that the kid, your friend has probably heard before, but you ain't ever heard your parents talk to each other like that. It's that kind of feeling of like, I don't know if I should be here right now. I, I'm just going to take my PB and J and go. How about that? Uh, you can hang on to super Mario brothers three, bring it back to school when you're done with it. I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I, I can completely relate to that. And actually, you talking about this just reminds me of Thanksgiving at home. But I, I get what your meaning is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's the reason that I make my Thanksgiving visits about 45 minutes. <laughs> where I'm just like, all right, what time is lunch being served? Great. I will be there about 10 minutes after the time you just quoted me. <laughs> we will eat. I will say hello to everyone. I'm, we're going to shake hands and we're going to hug. And then I'm getting the fuck out before somebody says something that makes me angry. <laughs> and that, that that's how I have good holidays these days is they are short. I, I'm a state employee and required to work most holidays. So I, I usually don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, man, you got you to gotta approach that stuff like SEAL Team 6 these days. Oh, my God. You know, where you're just like, look, we are going to egress at 1330 hours. <laughs> we are going to have exactly one turkey leg. We might have stuffing. It depends on who made it. If it was Aunt Connie, you can just fucking forget about it. Um, and then we are <laughs> we are out uh, within, in a short 37 minutes. Go, go, go. You know? Um, like I'll, man, I'll shoulder roll out a window if I gotta, <laughs> I won't even use the door. <laughs> like, where did Bo go? I don't know. Tubby rolled out the window. We haven't seen him in quite some time. He clearly was not interested in the bears game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, before we take our first break, uh, Bo, I hope you forgive me for this, but with all the talk about slasher films, Bo, I, I just have to ask, what was kind of the inspiration behind Lost After Dark? Uh, you know, basically, when I originally wrote the script for that, there was such a long time between writing the script and the production of the film that when I wrote the script, I was not the biggest fan of slasher movies because they were all formula. Right. You know, and this was... Uh, like mid nineties, really late nineties. Yeah. When I originally wrote the script for that thing so that the, the movies that were in theaters were, you know, I, I know what you did last summer. Uh, like scream had happened, 
but that was as meta as anything got. And so when I was writing the script, I was like, okay, well, what if you took the slasher formula and the first, and followed it step by step? Like you paint by numbers, the first 25 minutes of that movie. And then at that mark, you deliberately fly in the face of the expectation of what those movies are. And, and then also, uh, you, you have a villain in the film that is not in any way supernatural that you, you clearly state and and in a lot of ways, the finished product the the film that, that came out of that, um, is not quite the, the script I had written. And, and I'm not saying it's, it's better or worse for that. I'm just saying it's different. Right. And, and so, but that was the origins of the idea. And, but then you start making the movie and you have producers who are like, well, if he, if we fucking kill him at the end of this thing, how do we make a sequel? And you're like, well, kind of who cares? Like, <laughs> you know, the movie, the movie would have to do really well. And spoilers, there's no sequel to Lost After Dark because it, it did all right, but <laughs> certainly not enough to, to make a sequel. And I, but that's where you get into that kind of catch 22 thinking of, well, if we had stuck to our guns and done something that was a little more bold in terms of the villain, would we have been successful enough to have a sequel? Because then you can always, you know, retrofit that. You can always, you know, I had my fingers crossed behind my back, not really uh, just a regular guy, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that ultimately it was... Uh, hey, how do I write a slasher that I want to see uh, as opposed to the stuff that I was seeing in the theaters and, and hitting home video uh, in those days? And then the production of the film is an entirely different <laughs> <laughs> adventure. Um, you know, it was it, it was something else. And, and actually, I will use this time to pimp the fact that there is a director's commentary of Lost After Dark that me and the director Ian did. Uh, available on legionpodcast.com so if you want to if you want to hear a lot of boring detail about the production side of that and also us talking about how we really enjoyed the cast because i i do really like the cast of that film um quite a bit i think they all did real well and uh uh but that's over there uh as well and yeah and i you know it, I'm kind of in the same place uh, as I was then with slasher movies only these days. It's with um, the the supernatural horror film. Uh, the the thing that I've, I've really had a, a bee in my bonnet about lately is doing kind of a, a space set horror film. But anytime you do that, you live in the shadow of Event Horizon. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, how do you make that different? And and to me, the answer is, what if, because science is ultimately what gets you into space and makes space work, <laughs> you know, like math and science is, it turns out kind of important for that. <laughs> um, what if you ran into a, what was seemingly a supernatural entity and the only weapons at your dis disposal uh, were those based in math and science? Like, how do you fight something in a scientific way that appears to be incredibly, um, like, beyond the the realm of science? 
and and it's it's an idea that I've been tinkering with, and I, I think I'm actually close to getting that down. Wow. Okay. I'm really intrigued about that, but uh, I have to I have to say what really makes Lost After Dark stand out for me is the time that you took to craft the characters because it's not your simple slasher where you don't really get to understand the characters because with this one you totally do and you get to see how they all relate to each other their inner relationships who's liking who you you not only do you get the the asshole of the group that's a requirement but you get to see that you know He's more complex than just the asshole. Uh, thanks, man. That, yeah, I mean, that was something that we had a lot of dis- discussions about. And I have to give Ian a ton of credit for that as well, because those were the discussions that we were having, you know, as we, when we were in pre-production and kind of fine-tuning the script and that kind of thing. Were those? It was those questions of like, hey, is it? It, not only is it clear how these characters relate to each other, do we know? Like, if someone just came up to you and said, you know, okay, well, how does Toby fit in this situation with Marilyn and uh, and so forth? Then we can very quickly say, like, oh, well, you know, I mean, Toby is obviously in love with her, but she's in love with this other guy. And he is relegated to the friend role, and he doesn't want to give that up, but he also... You know, he he's playing the long game of like, well, eventually he'll be gone and I'll still be here. And none of that is necessarily addressed in the movie, not directly or not that overtly. But um, yeah, man, I mean, we, we did. And, and also, if you go back to movies like, um, you know, Halloween and the burning and stuff like that, like the first 20, 25 minutes of those movies is establishing that very thing. It's establishing the characters and how they relate to one another and what the situation is and all that fun stuff. Like, you know, first act shit, the stuff you do <laughs> in the first act of a movie. And, you know, at, at a certain point it was easy to dispense with that because the idea was that, um, you got, if, if someone was coming to a slasher, then you just needed the stereotype. You just needed the slutty girl. You needed the jock. You needed the nerdy girl, you know, the final girl, and that's all you needed. And as long as you those tropes were immediately recognizable, then you were good to go. And that's why something like, you know, Friday the 13th Part 4 works as well as it does. Like, those characters aren't terribly complex, but you know who they all are, and they you know how they relate to one another and, and so forth. And and I love Friday the 13th Part 4. I think it's it's the best Friday the 13th film. And, uh, but it also does things a little bit differently by having that family dynamic as well. And, and not only having your group of kids, but having this family that is, uh, a non-nuclear family with kind of the weird kid and the older sister. And, um, you know, that, that's a movie that knew like, okay, well the formula is easy. How do we shake that up a little bit? And let's add these characters. And, oh, by the way, here's this character who is going to futilely try to hunt down Jason to avenge his sister. But at least it's something, right? Like it's more than just, Hey, here's a hitchhiker for him to kill. Like you're giving the character some motivation and so forth that I think makes that movie way more satisfying than something like Friday the 13th part six, which isn't bad, 
but it just doesn't have any of those little creative flares that that sets four over the edge you know i completely agree and uh just before we get off the the subject i have to again compliment you on the character of toby and well jesse also for his portrayal of it because I love Toby so much. I related to him in ways that I prefer not to really divulge here, but I think so many of us could relate to Toby specifically. And, uh, God, it was just heart wrenching, but yeah, in that situation, that would be me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, obviously that was me in like every, all, not every, but too many times in when I was in high school. Yep. Same here. That was, that, that was my jam it was like oh yeah i'm your i'm your pal i'm here to help <laughs> um i didn't have the best weed but the rest of that that would that was me yeah <laughs> well that came that came from my buddy ben that, in fact the story that i uh that toby tells is a story that my my friend ben told me about uh having his teacher tell him to put his head down <laughs> um but in the the sequel that was that was written for Lost After Dark, there is actually a sequel that I was like, okay, well, how do you Evil Dead two this shit? <laughs> and it was uh, Toby returns that he doesn't die on the the barn door, um, that he was just real fucked up, and that he ultimately survives it, but is real scarred up and obviously like, psychologically. <laughs> traumatized and uh the the storyline of the sequel was that you kind of terminate her to it a little bit where um the our final girl jamie ends up uh hunting down it's kind of weirdly the plot of the new halloween uh you know remake or reboot um where Jamie has been waiting for this guy for her opportunity. Oh, and by the way, she's in a mental institution because she's not doing so well either. And, um, is waiting for him to resurface. And as soon as she hears that, Hey, there are things happening that sound like it's him. She busts out and goes to Toby to try to enlist his aid to kill junior once and for all. And uh, Toby will not have any of it, has no interest in being a hero um, until she leaves him. And then, of course, in the second act, he shows up, you know, as a one man killing machine. And uh, my favorite scene in the sequel uh, that that will never be (laughs) is Toby using a shovel to kill cannibal babies as they they jump at him. Oh, uh, it really made me happy. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, as you said, it took, oh, what, almost a decade to get the original made. Maybe here and a couple more years, we'll finally get the sequel. It, it would be a lot of fun. It would, like, the sequel was, uh, as written, was, was absolutely bananas. <laughs> um, but in a way, and, but, and, and killed killed the character of junior Jode in a way that was almost Looney Tunes esque <laughs> of like, like it, it did everything short of having a train roll through and run over him, uh, after the bomb goes off, you know? Uh, so young Peter Jackson would be proud of you. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it was very, it was very silly, uh, or it is very silly and it's very over the top. And, um, it, it's, 
even more kind of grindhouse. There's a whole element of like Junior trying to rebuild his family, which means he's got some cannibal brides as well and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it was it was real. Like it, the first one had some, uh, I think, fairly fairly decent effects work um, and and some some you know pretty in your face. Uh, like the eye pop. Yeah, is, that's is just what I was gonna. Like. That's just what I was gonna say. Is the, yeah, the effects work was really good, especially with the the, the eye scene. I mean, damn. Yeah, oh, gotta love cow eyes. Um, <laughs> and 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 so the the like as I was working on the the sequel, it was like, okay, how do you make the eyeball scene? If that appeared in this movie, like the fifth most most dis- disgusting thing that you would see. And, uh, and I feel like we got there. <laughs> there it got raw. <laughs> well, I, I think now is the perfect time to, uh, kind of take our break so people can, uh, flood your inbox with, uh, requests for the script to the sequel and, uh, pass that. We'll be right back after this. Jason, thank you uh, very much for taking the time for this interview. Glad to be here. As you know, Michael is no longer with us. Uh, just really his relations with people, his producing style. We'll get into that later on an episode if you are the chosen uh, replacement. Right. But um, just right now, uh, for the record, could you tell us your name and just a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Jason Gray. I am the host of the Bloodstream podcast, and also I do horror reviews on my website, triskadecophiles.com. Very nice. Um, could you just uh, let me know, what, what exactly do you know about Rabbit and Red Radio? Uh, I'm mostly new to the show. I knew it had an incarnation or two before you officially joined the show, because that's when I started listening to it. Um, and, um, uh, how do I want to put this? <laughs> uh, I just know it's you and Mike getting together every week to talk about, uh, what movies you've been watching, what's new in horror, some news some stuff. Okay. Um, uh, well, one of the things with the show too, is that, uh, we try and do interviews when we can. Um, would you be comfortable with, uh, setting in on and partaking in some interviews? Uh, my interviewing experience is a little limited, and it's something I've been trying to work at. So, yes, I'd be willing to give that a go. Very nice, very nice. So, what would you say is your greatest cinephile strengths and weaknesses? Um, I'd say my strength has to lie in the 
more obscure areas of things. I have a knack for finding really unknown movies that no one's ever heard of. And just trying to find those gems in the rough and even finding what might be worth seeing in a movie that otherwise other people have said is uttering complete garbage. As for my weaknesses, um, there are some blind spots in my viewing history. I only very recently started even watching any of the Friday the 13th movies. Um, I've never seen Jaws. Uh... The other thing is, I'm not the biggest fan of straight-up dramas or uh, just regular movies. I like the more action-y, sci-fi, horror type of stuff where stuff is going on. Okay. Now, see, I actually find that quite interesting because you say that uh, a weakness of yours is your, your general knowledge, whereas... I actually see that as a strength, something that we could uh, use on the show as long as you'd be open to exploring some of the more known films that you are not exposed to yet. Right. So, yeah, I, I actually like that. That's very good. Um, what is a time in your past where you've exercised leadership? There might be a point in time where you and I disagree or we simply have no aim. And uh, how would you kind of take control of that situation? Oh, uh, geez. I'm normally the sort of person that likes to be more behind the scenes and advising than actually doing the leading. But I am good with ideas, and I can sometimes nudge things in the right direction if I'm not actually out there in front of things leading the charge. Okay, very good. So what if you and I were to actually have a, a disagreement? How would you handle that? Uh, after I crawled away and hid for a good long while and came back out of my cave, <laughs> I would try to find some common ground we could start from and, uh, see if we could find some way to compromise on whatever we're disagreeing about to, uh, at least get something done that would make both of us, if not exactly happy, at least to move forward with what we're in the middle of. Okay, well, we, we've kind of got the typical questions out of the way, but I have, uh, I have, I have something a, a little bit different that I want to toss at you. Now, if you were in a film, if you were to live in a film, which film would it be? Uh, could I live in a film where it's nice and safe and nothing's <laughs> going wrong? Because any movie I'd <laughs> probably be in, I would be the first guy slaughtered. Because it's like, I don't want to live in Friday the 13th or Scream. That's going to be horrible. So you are saying that you would prefer like a romantic comedy. Yeah, that's a good choice. <laughs> Even if I'm probably ending up as the snarky bad friend and not the romantic lead. Okay, so if if you were to join Rabbit and Red Radio, what do you think we could do better or differently? Uh, I think if I was in Rabbit and Red Radio, there would be at least 25% less bathroom humor. And references to my going to the toilet. <laughs> okay, that is definitely an improvement. <laughs> but but only by about 25%. It would still happen on occasion. Don't want to change the format too much. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay, so um, why do you believe you are the best person to be my new co-host? 
Uh, I think I can bring an interesting new voice to the show with my depth of knowledge in the obscure. And uh, I think sometimes I manage to have a decent sense of humor when I can pull that out of my butt. Okay. And uh, just being curious, are you interviewing with any other podcasts currently? Uh, no, I'm completely going solo. No one's showing any other interest. Okay. All right. Um, well, do you have any questions for me at this point in time? Uh, I got one thing. Uh, how are the, the, uh, dental benefits? Uh, dental? Um, unfortunately we do not cover dental. (sighs) Well, that's pretty much my standard anyway, so that doesn't matter too much. Um, we do provide a very nice, uh, life insurance policy. However, it does require that I am the beneficiary. Okay. I can work with that. Okay. All right. Well, Jason, uh, thank you very much for your time and, uh, we will be getting back to you. You're very welcome. I look forward to hearing from you. All right. Thank you so much, Jason. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension of not only a film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock podcast by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Which versus the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself. The podcast ice is gonna break! Welcome back to Rabbit and Red Radio. I hope you guys are ready because right now there's a there's a toolbox laying around here and but why why don't we just uh let's dive in to <laughs> 1978's The Toolbox Murders. Yeah, same year as Halloween. This movie came yeah. out the same year as Halloween. And it's fucking crazy. And I love the fact, like, I love the premise of this movie of just like, hey, I got this old toolbox full of shit. I bet I could kill people all kinds of ways. <laughs> I there, I like that as a, a as a hook for the movie. That that, that makes an interesting hook. And uh, oh man, you you talked about a premise. Well, here let me let me read you the synopsis, Bo. <laughs> all right, a ski masked maniac. He kills apartment complex tenants with the contents of a toolbox. All right. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That's the first 15 minutes. Okay. (laughs) And then all kinds of other crazy shit happens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's yeah. Both in, in the viewing of the movie and uh, listening to some of the commentary that's provided, although it's not 
creator commentary. It's all sort of, you know, critical commentary on, on the 88 films disc. Um, that is kind of the story of this movie is that it's really two movies. There is the grindhouse slasher that happens for the first part of the movie. And then it becomes this weirdo, like tourist trap film about the psychological darkness of a family. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's definitely different and we're going to have to really dive into this, but, uh, before we usually dive into these, we, we kind of talk about our impressions of the film beforehand. And, uh, I know we talked off air, but for myself, I'd never actually seen the toolbox murders. Um, I knew of it. I, I, you know, obviously seen the box art. I'd, I'd heard about it, but it was just never anything that grabbed my attention. It just, it never hooked me to the point where it's just like, I need to fucking watch this. I never heard anything about it that said that. I never read anything about it. That's just, just grabbed me like, motherfucker, you need to watch this movie. This is going to blow your mind. It was just, it was just there, you know? Yeah. I I was kind of in the same boat. I, you know, I, I'd seen toolbox murders, the, the Tobey Hooper, uh, reinvention of, of the toolbox murders. And, and, you know, he, he did it first. He, he did the fast and furious thing of like, mine's just going to be called toolbox murders, not the <laughs> toolbox murders. And, <laughs> and, and I, you know, it, I liked it well enough. It's fine. It's not great. It's all right. And I, I guess because of that, I never felt a real urge to watch the OG toolbox murders. And then once you, you'd ask me to do it. And I was like, Oh yeah. I, anytime someone asked me to do a show and they give me a movie I haven't seen, uh, or a list in this case, it was a list of movies. And I was like, Oh, I haven't seen toolbox murders. I always kind of felt like I should. And, um, I hadn't seen it though. And, and so I like that. I like, I like seeing something I've never seen before, especially in the context of like, okay, not only have I not seen it after I get done with it, I'm going to talk about it. So that helps it commit itself to my stupid memory because my brain is, <laughs> is broken. Don't work so good. And, uh, so yeah, I didn't have really a lot of preconceived notions about this movie other than I didn't necessarily expect that much from it. And that, um, it was, you know, kind of a late seventies proto slasher sort of thing. And I was like, okay, well this ought to be interesting. Um, and, and then it happened to my eyeballs (laughs) (laughs) and I came away from it with an entirely different sort of opinion where I was like, Oh, that's not at all what I thought this movie was going to be. Uh, yeah. Um, absolutely. But, uh, before we really get there, let's, let's, let's just kind of break the film down. Um, cause, uh, man, it, it even starts off with a head scratcher because we just, it, it just opens up and we're following the point of view of somebody driving a nice car. And then we get this weird fucking freeze frame and I honestly thought there was something wrong with my disc, but the audio kept going. I was just like, what the fuck? But, you know, it's just kind of this weird flashback of a car accident and a dead girl. And honestly, I'm just sitting there watching this like, what the fuck is going on? 
Yeah. 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 It, it, it totally is one of those things of like, hey, um, was this supposed to be in this movie? And, <laughs> and it, it plays at the end of the day, it matters, but not for a while. Right. And it, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting way to start the movie, especially when you're going to abandon it so quickly and completely <laughs> for the next 45 minutes of the runtime. But I, I, I like it. I mean, I was like, all right, well, whatever. And then, but that's the other thing that's kind of great about it is that we go from uh, this scene and jump straight into... Um, all right, you guys down for some fucking killing? Right. Let's, right. let's get let's get real down here. <laughs> yeah, we get a hard cut from the freeze frame and the dead girl to some guy just carrying a toolbox in. Eddie walks into a woman's apartment and she knows him, so you know, we're we're kind of getting the idea this is a murder mystery. And you know, at this point, you know, he's got the black gloves on and everything. I'm just kind of wondering is is this like a wannabe Jello film? Is is that what I'm watching now? A hundred percent. That's exactly what I was thinking too. Is this uh, this feels like you know a twitch of the death nerve or something like that? And uh, I mean, it becomes something more than that ultimately. But yeah, I mean, the first like this whole sequence where we start with um, the the drill bit murder. <laughs> And, I mean, in very short order, we get someone killed with a drill bit, a hammer, a screwdriver, and a slight break in the action just to come back and and, and do somebody in with a nail gun. You know, I mean, it is a real quick, like, bam, bam, bam of let's just start murdering people in some gnarly ass ways. Right, and I, I thought that's what we're in store for, but even with the murders, I, I was a little thrown. Like, um, with, with our first one here, with the, the drill, he ends up and knocks her out first. He punches her, then moves her, then drills her to death. And, like, I get it, and it works, and I go with it for the first time, but then, then we get the next sequence with, uh, with, with the girl that he hammers to death, and... I'm sorry, I, I took notes on this and I have to read it out because I literally had to watch this scene twice just because I was sitting there like, what the fuck is going on? So <laughs> here, here, bear with me, Bo. So we're following this woman. I didn't take note of her name. Sorry. As she enters her apartment, leaving her groceries outside. OK, fair, fair enough. That's fucking weird. But OK, whatever. She then goes to the bathroom to do something, thinks she sees someone in the shower, but oh wait, it's a fake jump stare of a dress for her only to turn the water on in the shower, get wet, mm-hmm. take her top off, change, go out and leave her apartment. This is utter insanity. I mean, there's no continuity. There's, there's no logic through any of this. I mean, she just leaves shit outside her apartment. She's, you know, Stepping into the shower once she sees that it's a false jump scare, turns the water on while she's fully clothed, and then like, oh fuck, I gotta change. And- yeah, well, but but this is, uh, I think, um, almost immediately preceded by the fact that the killer has killed someone with the drill bit, 
Right. And, and then puts on a mask. Yeah, yeah. Which also feels like the exact opposite of how you do this. Yeah, you, you go in with the mask. R- right. And then, like you said, you have this whole scene where it's like a woman is fully dressed. Uh, she starts to get undressed, sees, turns on the water in the shower, sees something in the shower, opens it up, is like, oh, my God, there's clothes in there. That's weird. Let me step in <laughs> to the shower, fully clothed, including shoes. Then once I'm wet, I'm going to take my top off because boobies and right. and put my wet shirt back in the closet and it's just like, I don't understand what what concept of human behavior is being employed here. Like, none of this makes any sense at all in terms of how human beings are supposed to go about their daily lives. No, not whatsoever. And, like, I, I get filming it. I think that, that the lack of an experienced editor really shows here because he could have just been like, look, none of this makes fucking sense. If I snip this, this, and this... It's going to work unless the director's just there. Like, no, we need all of this. I want to see her get in, but all we're getting is 10 more seconds of wet boobs or shirt. It needs to be there. <laughs> that's, that's my art. Um, yeah. That's why, you know, director, uh, what's his name? Dennis Donnelly is, you know, this is the only feature he ever directed and the rest of it's a lot of television. Like he directed, you know, Adam 12 and shit like that. <laughs> and and the toolbox murders, uh, which is a real weird thing to have on, on your resume. But then again, with this one, even the killer, I, I still I struggle with him because, again, he knocks this girl out and then hammers her to death. How hard would it be to hit her in the fucking head with the hammer and then hit her repeatedly when she has fallen down? I, I mean, it's a fine question. I don't have any answers for you here. Although I do like the fact that he just good old fashioned uppercuts her, just hi. <laughs> you know, he gi- he gives her the uh, glass Joe. Uh, you know, Mike Tyson's punch out uh, strike. <laughs> and I yeah, I thought it was really, f- I thought it was really funny of uh, of how quickly she goes down. Like she is not built for taking one in the chops even a little bit no not at all (laughs) down out and then he just hammers her to death then picks her up moves her back into her apartment and of course somebody's just like hey what the fuck's going on here you got groceries all over the fucking hallway there's some blood what the fuck's this (laughs) and of course he he gets to stab her with the screwdriver (laughs) right it's just like hey you know this guy's taking all comers you know, he's doing a, a full on Dick's town of like, I will, I will murder any 30 people within the county lines. Right. And then, you know, right after he kills these two, we see him, you know, spying out the window at everyone else in the apartment complex. And we see a couple, we see, uh, the next victim, the girl dancing in her panties. And, you know, you, he then spies on someone, starts to sneak into their apartment and sees a guy and then's just like, eh, no, there might be a fight here. Fuck this. I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, he only leaves when he runs out of people to stab. Right. Right. Uh-huh. And I, I can get behind that. Right. But if you employ, I mean, <laughs> slight spoilers, um, we're going to learn that the reason he is doing this theoretically is that he is trying to rid the world of kind of, you know, 
what what uh, uh, the color purple would refer to as nasty women, and in so doing, though, like just when girls are showing up, like, hey, I've got some groceries, stab, uh, <laughs> like, hey, what are all these groceries doing here? Drill. And you're like, what is, oh, you're not doing any kind of evaluation here. <laughs> like, you know, you're not taking the measure of a man uh, into account when you're, you're just getting rid of witnesses, in which case you're, the speech that we get later doesn't make <laughs> nearly as much sense. It, like, you just have to have to, uh, a big old fat asterisk on everything of like, I had to get rid of all the girls who were dirty and sinful oh and and also anyone who showed up while i was killing them yeah and and i have to i have to point this out because i i love this part and, and it did make me laugh that the only black people in the film discover the murdered girls and then they just disappear from this fucking film altogether they're just <laughs> we're getting the fuck out of here right right like fulfilling the the richard Pryor joke about like well the exorcist couldn't happen with black people uh, or the Amityville horror because you would they would show up and be like I love this house get out too bad we can't stay and <laughs> and that's exactly what happens where they're like look at all these white people killed and they're like yeah did you know anything about it nope and you will <laughs> never see us again <laughs> it's a it's a move I respect I mean uh, hey. Look how how many in that family got kidnapped? Zero. Exactly. They they knew when to get while the getting was good. <laughs> oh, but one thing I will give this is you know the police they show up and although they seem a little inept in you know preserving a crime scene because they're just parading everyone through, they don't seem for you know slasher films they don't seem like the typical moron cops that you get. I mean, they don't seem the brightest because, you know, hey, come in here. See this girl with the hammer marks in her head? You know anything about this? It's like, fucking seriously, man? You pull them down to the station, maybe right. show them some photographs. <laughs> I do like the fact they're like, hey, you on the street, huh? Come in here and take a look at this. What do you think happened? Um, I do like that. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's it, – it's sort of the beginnings of – that crime procedural stuff of like, okay, well, you know, like later on we see the blood spatter on the wall has been taped off and, uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, they're a little more competent than your average horror movie detective, but that's a pretty low bar. <laughs> it really is. And, and like you said, the fact that they're bringing in, you know, people <laughs> from the four corners, just letting whatever carny passes by come in for a gander. Oh, my favorite part is uh, we haven't got it to it yet, but uh, the 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 masturbating woman. We're obviously the guy that's the peeping tom's. Just like I've always wondered what it looked like in here. I man, the best part of that scene, which is is truly one of the weirder scenes of the movie. Like there's some weird editing going on in the uh, masturbation scene, but one of my favorite points in that is when uh really two things the fact that at a certain point she's got one hand between her legs like it's all under the water it's it's not that risque it's but, tasteful right it's a tasteful <laughs> nude um but i mean you, you certainly get what's going on but i like when the second hand drops down it's like look now we're 
now we're getting somewhere. Let's <laughs> we're, quit screwing around. The teasing's over. Let's get the second hand in there and let's get the job done. Um, but when this is going on and the killer comes in and turns the radio up, I like the fact that it's like, oh, thank goodness the radio knew that I was about to come. <laughs> <laughs> and matched volume it, it it's like when you're driving and you decelerate and the radio lowers volume automatically <laughs> same kind of thing it's the orgasm controller on a radio <laughs> that's a new feature uh we 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 got to bankroll that <laughs> <laughs> right so we we fixed the dark universe and now we have volume uh adjusting cum clocks <laughs> with built-in radios i also it's also worth noting that at a certain point like the way they present this woman i don't think is the way that i perceive the woman because at a certain point later when um the brother is sort of investigating the room where kelly nichols is the actress's name who was also an adult actress um not just because she was over the age of 21 she was actually in adult films and surprisingly, the coolest bit of information I learned about Kelly Nichols uh, today was that she dated John Skip of John Skip and Craig Spector fame, the guys who wrote like Light at the End and The Bridge and also Elm Street 4 or 5, one of those. And that, yeah, that was his girlfriend for a while, um, which I, I thought that was pretty cool yeah um but when the brother is in investigating uh the room with will from land of the lost <laughs> which is forever how he will be known to me that they run across a vibrator and he uh the the brother is like hey check this out and kind of tosses it at will from land of the lost who whose reaction is like oh my god that's disgusting and it's like brother I don't know where you come from, but you find a lady who is masturbating with both hands in a tub and has a vibrator in her drawer. You're in for a good time, my friend. Yeah, he he's greatly misinformed. I mean, if nothing else, he should have at least smelled it. Right? <laughs> like, well, what would I be getting into? <laughs> oh, she eats a lot of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> uh but okay so we kind of completely glossed over the fact that we we actually get to meet um lori and her brother joey and their sleeping mother as you know after the murders are up they're getting ready for school and in slasher film fashion lori is obviously our final girl that's what they're telling us right here right now in that part and man they even fuck that up well kind kinda, of yeah yeah i mean she's she's studying um yeah she is clearly the good girl her brother it you know strolls in and is like hey i've been out smoking and talking to ladies what have you been up to and and she's like i've got a test and you're like okay i i get it movie yep i know what's going on here and but again this is prior to those sorts of rules being etched in stone. So it's really a bit ahead of its time in a lot of ways. And their mother, by the way, played by the, uh, the woman who was Helen Crump on the Andy Griffith show. Really? Yeah. I, I kept thinking the, the whole time I was watching her, I was like, I know 
I know that face so well, and I can't think of from what. And when I did uh, the the search on her, and I was like, oh my god, she was Helen Crump? Uh, that explains so much, and also makes me feel slightly aroused. Well, I, I was saying that they kind of screwed it up with Lori, but what I mean is more how it plays out, because Lori fits the part perfectly, and, and you know, the night of, of the uh, nail gun massacre, not the not, uh, film but the the adult star getting it <laughs> yeah they stopped to watch nail gun massacre <laughs> yeah well the a adult, movie within a movie the, the adult star getting it not in the, the tub but with the nail gun uh she's actually on the phone discussing sex with her boyfriend and, and kind of you know dissuading it and that's when the killer is watching her and he just decides to take her which we're kind of left thinking, did he kill her? Because we watch him strangle her. Yeah, there. Yeah, there is absolutely. I mean, and you're you're right. It is kind of the final girl formula, but not quite. And because there is that element of of like, well, she's talking about getting down, <laughs> and but yeah, they're, they're, like she just disappears, and both the brother and mother are left wondering if she's been killed because the body of Kelly Nichols has been discovered downstairs and there at a certain point, the detective who could be will from land of the lost, but isn't, um, but is probably on a number of television shows, including Adam 12 and like land of the giants and shit like that. Like th this movie is rotten with actors who did nothing but work on like, Marcus Welby MD and shit like that <laughs> <laughs> because the, you know, the, uh, Donnelly was a television director. So he pulled from his pool of talent, which were all television actors, you know, did a lot of serial television. And, um, but this detective at a certain point gets to question the brother, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie where he's just like, Hey, uh, where were you last night? He was like, I don't know. I was out doing, you know, doing what I do. Yeah. He's like, I was doing out it. watching movies or something like that. Yeah. Like I went by myself and yeah. Cause he's like, you want me to tell you the plot? You need to find my sister. <laughs> and the detective is like, so, uh, where were you the night before? He's like, I think I went out to get some food or something. Yeah. That's, you didn't tell your mother about that. It's like, no, I didn't tell my mother. I went out to get something to eat. You know, the woman works at a bar. <laughs> I don't check in with her all the time. And he's like, so tell me more about these ladies. Well, I didn't really know them. Well, you know, they're pretty. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I guess they are. I just didn't really know them. And he's like, hmm, I find it very curious that you're a young man with a penis. <laughs> and these beautiful women were coming and going. Not The way he describes it is like not 50 feet from your door. And you didn't notice and he's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, I'm getting it wet with somebody else. I don't have to. I don't have to look at every hot girl that walks by. I guess I don't know. It, like, it's it's not a theme that is explored explicitly or anything. But I like the fact that the detective is like, Look, man, you're a teenage boy with hormones coming out of your ears. You should know the comings and goings of all of these women all of the time. <laughs> yeah. You should be an obsessive little freak. And why is that not the case? Yeah, I do like that. And then I like how <laughs> while this is going on, Joey's just like, you need to find my sister, and then just storms off 
while police questioning. Like you can, that's a thing you can just do. Be like, you know, fuck this. I'm done with this questioning. I'm leaving. It's like, um, I'm not sure it quite works like that. (laughs) Well, I don't think you're allowed to just tuck your revolver in your belt like (laughs) this guy has either. (laughs) Like, Like he's about to get called out in Dodge City or something, but. Yeah, it, I mean, there's a number of things when you're watching this movie that stretch uh, credulity for sure, but also it it just lends to the vibe that this movie is somehow a little bit surreal in a lot of ways, which only gets more intense as the movie goes on. Oh, absolutely, because basically from here, Joey meets uh, Kent, you know, Kent from Land of the Lost. <laughs> And right. <laughs> and uh, he just decides, hey, we're going to team up. You're going to help me find my sister and I'm going to help you clean up these murder scenes. What? <laughs> well, but in fairness, uh, Land of the Lost tells him like, hey, my uncle's paying me to clean this stuff up. Do you want to help? And, you know, the kid is just twisted enough that he's like, yeah, I totally want to be at these murder scenes. <laughs> I've been trying to meet a ghost, (laughs) (laughs) which is the only reasonable explanation to do this. Uh, Otherwise, it's like, yes, I want to clean up the dead blood of beautiful women. This in no way will affect me psychologically or sexually. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, so they they form a little uh, band of brothers here where they're like okay we're gonna clean up these murder scenes and also kind of investigate and the the brother is gonna do some crazy mr science shit so that they can remove the the uh tamper tape on the crime scene and get in and out undetected right but you know oddly enough talking about this this is the part of the film that works the best for me yeah, I I agree because it's it's the point where the movie takes a real turn and and steps away from being just a movie about a guy, you know, screwdrivering and and hammering people to death and becomes this sort of mystery of like okay, not only are we trying to find out who it is, we have our protagonist who is the you know, sort of the brother who is on the hunt for his sister, you know, like it, it's legitimate stakes in a movie and that's what you're always looking for is why is this character doing this thing well it's because his sister has gone missing a woman that uh lived directly below them has been killed and now he is trying to figure out who the killer is in time to save his sister and then 10 minutes later they tell us you know (laughs) (laughs) right that land of the lost uncle has a sister kidnapped and it's weird because he i i i do appreciate his performance here because he starts off talking to her about his dead daughter, who I guess is the flashback girl. That's who we have to assume. And then he ends up by the end of the conversation, calling her his dead daughter's name, uh, Kathy, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And a a complete side note here, but there is uh, here on Legion podcast.com. Ding. You can, (laughs) There's a, a show called Hello, This is the Doom Show that uh, Richard Glenn Schmidt et al., a uh, revolving group of hosts, do. And part of the theme song of that show, or one of the the bits opening the show, 
is the L-O-L-L-I-P-O-P spells lollipop. And I never knew what that came from. And when I saw it in this movie, I almost lost my goddamn mind. Because <laughs> I was like, I finally feel like I'm in on the joke. Um, but yeah, it's it it's Cameron Mitchell of, uh, <laughs> you know, previous Hollywood fame. In by the time he's making the toolbox murders, it's more, hey, I've been divorced a bunch. I've got some <laughs> alimony and a pretty rough drinking problem, um, kind of fame. Like he is, he is as sweaty a man as you will see. <laughs> That's very uh, true. In in much of this film, and I think it's because the lights are on him and he's sweating out the gin. But yeah, he but he's legitimately pretty good in this and. Right, he he has this whole thing where he's like he he gives up the the farm about why he's the killer. Uh, it's because his daughter was a good girl and she was taken so young, and here are all these other girls who are awful. And he's trying to get rid of the world of evil because if he gets rid of the world of evil, then all that's left is good. And he's like, that, see, it's pretty simple. And it's like you know what? It is pretty simple. I appreciate that, Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. It- it basically makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes crazy sense, but that's all you need it to make for for a movie like this, right? And but he's got <laughs> he's got the uh, the the sister Lori tied up. She's wearing this kind of um, age inappropriate dress. Is bound by ribbons, and he's giving her a lollipop. And I'm like, this is fucking kinky. <laughs> I am down. And in fact, uh, I, I, we were laughing as we were watching. Of like, Lori is like, you know, this is terrible. But also, is it weird? This is kind of hot. Um, I kind of like this. I mean, my hands are bound, and oh, <laughs> things are getting sexy. If Cameron Mitchell weren't here, hey, where's Will from Land of the Lost? Um, oh, don't worry, he'll <laughs> show up later. Right, we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> but yeah. So, but Cameron Mitchell starts to blur the lines, you know, a la Corey Feldman from <laughs> Friday Four, where he starts to believe. And and in fairness, Lori's kind of leaning into this a little bit, where she's talking about what heaven's like and stuff. And so Cameron Mitchell is starting to believe that she is, in fact, his daughter, but is not letting her go, and is is saying, I can. If you stay in the, if I keep you here in this room, I can keep you safe and pure. Right. And, and so that's his gig is he is going to hold her hostage so that she cannot be corrupted by, uh, the world outside. And and I think right now, since now he's got her and the, the line is kind of blurred in his head that he's pretty much done with his toolbox murders. He's content to just have her and kind of look after and protect her. Right, and that's the weird thing about this movie is that the toolbox murders are the first like twenty thirty minutes of this movie, and then that's it. Yeah, and after that, it's just who did the toolbox murders, right? And you know, the detective's still trying to figure this out, kind of, because after this, he goes and hits on Lori's mom at the bar, and basically lets her know that yeah, I've got I've got nothing, but I'm I'm still looking for. Her. Hey, do you want to have dinner later? Right. He's like, you were you were Helen Crump on Andy Griffith, right? Is it? <laughs> Is it weird that I, I've got kind of a boner talking to you? 
Um, but yeah, he he tries to get a little action. And meanwhile, though, we've got uh, Will from Land of the Lost and Lori's brother, who have or Lori's brother kind of begins to suspect. Like they have a run in with Cameron Mitchell, where they're getting paint supplies, and he just hands them both a twenty and is like, Th- "Thanks for doing all the painting and the murder houses." And they're like, "Hey, no problem. Twenty bucks is twenty bucks. Am I right?" But immediately, the brother is like, I think this guy may be up to no good. And this is immediately preceding the revelation that he is, in fact, the killer. But it's important to know that the brother is starting to suspect something because then he comes back later and is doing a full-on investigation of this shed where all the the tools and paint and, and whatnot uh, are kept by Cameron Mitchell. But we, we, we actually glossed over part where uh, Land of the Lost shows up and actually sees Lori tied up in the bed at night. Oh, that's right. And he, yeah, because he just peers through the window and it's just like, I dig this. Yeah. And, and then later, you know, the brother shows up and they talk and I'm kind of wondering how this is going to play out. Is he, is he going to like help him? And then he doesn't say anything. And I'm just kind of left thinking, what the fuck? And then uh, the Joey, the brother, goes back and actually starts to investigate. And he finds the toolbox that just, you know, happens to be scattered with bloody tools. <laughs> he's all like, just so happens. Yeah, yeah. He's all like, hey, look at this shit. It's all covered in blood. This isn't cool. What's he? I think your uncle's killing everyone. Right. And Land of the Lost is like, oh, that could be anybody's blood. Yeah. You know, that like just totally downplay. <laughs> right. And. Uh, it, it like finds the nail gun and is like, you, you, you know, this nail gun. Well, all kinds of people have nail guns and Lori's brother is like, Hey man, quit pointing that thing at me. And then land of the lost just dumps a bunch of paint thinner. I guess I think it is what thinner. it is and on, onto Lori's brother and starts creepily singing a song and lighting matches in a pretty cool way, admittedly, where it's like you hold the match and just flick your thumb up yeah. to, to to strike it. It's something I've never been able to pull off, but I really think it's cool. Yeah, I wish I could do that, uh, too. Yeah. I, there are a handful of things that I'll see in movies where I'm like, I wish I could do that. Like people who can whistle through their teeth and uh, strike matches off their cheek or thumb. I'm like, yeah, I wish I could get away with that that seems pretty cool it does um but but he's doing it over and over again and singing this song about uh it it, it's a half step away from light my fire by the doors (laughs) in terms of just being on the nose and he's he's flicking the matches in the general vicinity of Lori's brother but not actually setting him on fire now that he's covered with paint thinner yeah he's just completely fucking with him yeah, yeah, uh, up until the point where he's just like, okay, I'm done playing, and then flicks a bunch of matches all at once, like the the shotgun effect <laughs> of, like, no matter how you duck or try to run, uh, which by this point, Laurie's brother has fallen onto the floor anyway, and he goes up, you know, like, Laurie's brother straight up burns alive in this movie. Yeah, I, I didn't really see that coming, and the hard turn after he realized, you know, I'm not going to be able to convince him that this is you know just bullshit 
know, if we're looking in the wrong direction, just that hard turn where he's just like, I got to protect my family. It's just direct fucking 90 degrees where he's just like normal to I'm going to fucking kill you. Well, but it's <laughs> inconsistent also because, right, he says, like, I've got to protect my family in this scene. <laughs> yeah, and then man. immediately goes to Cameron Mitchell and is like, the fuck are you doing, man? I can't cover for all this. Like, you're you're a sick man. And so they have some weird psychosexual conversation where they're talking about how uh, Cameron Mitchell has found Kathy again. And he's got this doll that looks like or that is Kathy's that has been in Lori's possession while she's been a, a you know unwilling uh, guest of the house. <laughs> and you know, sort of one thing leads to another, and Land of the Lost gets hold of a knife and stabs Cameron Mitchell his hand originally and then then in the gut but stabs him through the doll right and then cameron mitchell fucking dies uh spoilers um and then uh land of the lost strolls back into Lori's room where she's still all tied up and she's like great you killed cameron mitchell that's fantastic will you let me go he's like whoof I am beat. You have no idea what killing your, your uncle takes out of you. And, and it also comes out like a, as Cameron Mitchell and land of the lost are, are arguing when uh, Cameron Mitchell is saying like, Kathy was a perfect girl and land of the lost is like, Oh, you mean my cousin, Kathy, the one I was getting down with every time we could. And you're like, Whoa, 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 yeah. man. Yeah, he just freely admits that because uh, Cameron Mitchell is, is sitting there talking about how, you know, uh, Land of the Lost protected Kathy and looked after her. And now that he's got Kathy again, he's going to look after you. And, and Land of the Lost is just like, yeah, we made love all the time. And he's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, all the time. You were like, go to the store and we're like, yeah, I'm going to fuck you in the store. Uh -huh. And then I'm going to fuck you on the way back. And it's just like... Whoa! It was sweet, <laughs> sweet cousin loving, and we couldn't get enough. Yeah, but he, <laughs> he pathetically stabs him in the stomach, and, and you know Cameron Mitchell just goes down, and he goes back, and you're not quite sure how this is going to play out. He he he's cutting her free, and he's talking to her, and then he like just rips her her strap off her dress and it gets real creepy as she's fighting him and then we get the hard cut and then it comes right back and they're just laying in bed together and she looks traumatized as fuck <laughs> right because the one thing that cameron mitchell had going for him was that he believed she was pure and therefore would do nothing to ruin her purity right Whereas Land of the Lost was like, hey, have you thought about being raped today? <laughs> because that's exactly what's about to happen. And and that's that's what he does. Like, it's clear that he has uh, assaulted her at this point. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And he's just kind of doing pillow talk where he's like, yeah, you know, I I, uh, I know it's really hard the first time, but uh, I think you're going to really ease into this. I think you're going to like it. And she just looks devastated. 
And then we get this, like, the camera follows her gaze to the, you know, knitting kit or whatever that uh, Land of the Lost had used originally to cut her free, like had taken scissors from there to to cut some of the bond uh, bondings away. Bindings. Bindings, that's the word. Yeah, bindings. Uh, oh, man, that lack of sleep starting to catch up with me. I'm, I'm starting <laughs> to invent words now. But yeah, um, cut some of the bindings away earlier, but leaves, you know, a couple in place. And... So she just eyeballs the scissors, and that's kind of the scene. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, or our listeners can, but I'm pretty sure in that talk with, with Land of the Lost, after you know, you'll you'll get used to it. He starts talking about marriage while she's sitting there staring at the scissors, and it's just mm-hmm. like that's how fucked up you are. And then they just end the scene with her staring at the scissors, and, and we get a scene of her stumbling through a parking lot covered in blood still holding the scissors and we get an inner title that tells us this was a true story. Lori was institutionalized for three years after this. Her mom died and she's now married with kids living only a couple miles away from the murders. What? Like she doesn't even get the privilege on film of killing this fuck. And then they're just like, Oh yeah, all this was real by the way. Right. Not only is this crazy and disturbing and you've been freaked out for about the past 20, 20, 25 minutes of this movie. Also, it all really happened. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I couldn't really find an article that detailed exactly how close it was to uh, the original film, uh, the events that are referred to, but it, it don't matter if well, it's even kind of close that's really jacked up i can actually address this um oh please do i i did do some deep diving as i usually try and do with these uh as far as i'm able to tell um that's all fake <laughs> um, this was actually inspired by the texas chainsaw massacre not directly but it was inspired by the fact that the producer saw it saw how much money it made and how cheap it was and was like I can do that. Hire me some writers. We're making that. So he, he just basically hired two writers like we're doing this. And they they did the based on true events to, to kind of tie it A back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and B to I guess hit home a little harder. But yeah, not not based on a true story at all from what I'm able to find. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better that yeah. Uh, that never really happened in, in, you know, uh, to quote T-Bird, the really real world. Um, <laughs> I love I mean, that you just quoted the crow. Yeah. Well, anytime you can sneak it in and, uh, but yeah. And, but right. That's where the movie ends. It's just like, here she is covered with blood. She completely killed that dude. Uh, probably. And good night, everybody drive safe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow yeah it would it would be like if johnny carson uh you know kids johnny carson hosted the tiny show uh years ago it would be like if johnny carson ended the show with like well i uh i used to abuse one of my daughters we'll be back tomorrow night and you're like whoa, whoa, whoa what did johnny just say 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Joan, Joan Amber, or Joan London from the San Diego Zoo is going to be on tomorrow night. I got that part. What was the thing about his daughter, though? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, oh. Yeah, it's it's such a weird movie. It is it really such is. a weird film because, you know, like we talked about, it is distinctly the first 30 minutes are kind of a slasher movie and uh, kind of a grindhouse exploitation film. Right. And then it becomes sort of a mystery for a while. And then the last few minutes are just this psychosexual drama that is incredibly disturbing. Oh, absolutely. It's it's something, man. It, it really is. And here, I, I, I'm... I'm going to allow the guest to go last. I, I, I have to kind of go first on, on this one. Uh, I, I think the kills were good. The acting was good enough. Um, the story was actually kind of decent. Like I, I, I was saying going through this, it, it kept me kind of intrigued. Like I'd figured out who the killer was as soon as he walked on. I was like, oh, the sight of blood. I, I knew it. Anyone who's seen more than two slasher films knew who this guy was. But I, I, I was going with it. it. It kept me hooked with, you know, the land of the lost and Joey kind of relationship and whatnot. And I was even able to overlook the real dumb sequences. But man, the thing that really lost me on this was that, that third act. I mean, uh, the, the rape of a 15 year old girl. Right, right. That was something that we, we did not point out. Yeah. She's uh, in 15. Our yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. The rape of a 15-year-old girl, and then the film doesn't even give her the dignity of killing her attacker on screen. Like, I, I think that makes it more impactful that she stays the constant victim in our eyes. We never see her, you know, avenge herself. Just the way it ends, it keeps her this traumatized, horrible victim, and it's just such a gut punch to me that i can't really get over that for the rest of this film i i mean to me this one just kind of felt a little uninspired and it comes off kind of soulless i have to say i didn't really enjoy this film overall and that ending man i i'm not gonna forget it but i did not enjoy it you know yeah, yeah. all right let me say <laughs> something that is not true um <laughs> I I'm I'm trying to give this movie more credit than it deserves. <laughs> my my take on the movie, if I were if if you said Bo, you have to write a thesis on the toolbox murders, my thesis would be that her character, sort of what you were saying there, it, because we never see her take revenge, we never see her with any direct agency in the film. She's always a a, a character that things happen to. Right. Um, even though in presumably she kills her attacker, it's not something we ever see. We don't get any kind of uh, catharsis from it. And she is presented both as the whore and the Madonna in the film of, you know, for Cameron Mitchell, she represents purity for land of the lost. She represents the whore uh, you know, the sexual object. Right. And, but is neither of those things because she is both of those things, just as all, all women are, you know, all people are, all people have elements of, of the good and the bad and the, the, 
you know, the normal, the perverse, all that stuff. Like we were all a big jumble of things and it would make the movie so much more justifiable if it felt like the movie was making a statement about that and saying like, yes, she has seen both ways. She is tortured by Mitchell and assaulted by land of the lost. And at the end of the day, she is something more than either of the things that she has been portrayed as by these guys. I just don't think the movie is that smart. No, it's not at all. (laughs) And so, like you said, it just comes off as being this thing that's like, ugh, this is gross. Like, somebody, there are three writers credited on this movie, and one of them had to be like, hey, what if he rapes her? And and somebody's like, hey, she's fifteen. Yeah, yeah, I know it's hot, but, she, but <laughs> so he rapes her, and then he starts talking about how he's gonna, how they're gonna get married, and then she just stabs him with some scissors. Well, let's not see her stab him with the scissors. Okay, fair enough. That's not hot. And and then that's the movie. And then, by the way, you tell everyone. By the way, this all happened. Um, it's it really is puzzling. Yeah. <laughs> and and really off-putting in a lot of ways. Um and yet I I don't know that I would tell people not to see it because it is such a an oddity. Um I I think it is kind of a weird movie and I actually I think there is something to be said for the Kelly Nichols scene like the the nail gun scene. I think oh, there's yeah. some good moments in it. Absolutely. Um you know I, I think it's worth people's time in a weird way, but also with the the knowledge that going into it, like this movie is going to land in a pretty twisted place and it's not going to throw you a line to get out of it. No, I, I, I completely agree there. Basically how I would have to present that is if, if you are a big slasher fan and you have not seen this one, but you're working your way through everything you can find this is totally worth your your time. It, it's crazy, and you know you're going to get some interesting aspects, some cool kills. But be forewarned, the ending's a gut punch. You know, for everyone else, yeah, you probably don't want to watch this. Right, if you're a normal person that <laughs> right. enjoys normal movies, <laughs> the Toolbox Murders is not for you. If you're a weirdo that is like hey um what is the weirdest movie that i haven't seen yet the toolbox murders is probably on that list i yeah 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 so if if you're you know at blockbuster even though that doesn't really exist anymore unless you're in alaska so for our one alaska listener <laughs> if if you're at blockbuster and you have the toolbox murders or beethoven 5 <laughs> And you're really torn. Beethoven 5 is probably safe for the whole family. But if you're sitting there and you have the toolbox murders and, uh, I don't know, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, eh, you've probably seen Nightmare on Elm Street 4 at least once or twice. Give toolbox murders a watch. Right. If you're the kind of thing, uh, kind of person that thinks Roman Polanski gets a bad rap. <laughs> <laughs> The Toolbox Murders is the movie for you. <laughs> I I can't top that joke, so I think we just have to rate it here. 
uh, all right. I, uh, I mean, it, it's tough to rate for that very reason. It, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go right down the middle on this one. This is a, this is a really softball pitch, I think, but I, I think it's kind of a three a, a three star film. Okay, because because you can't recommend it to everyone. There, it it doesn't necessarily look all that great. Some of it, in fact, looks rather amateurish. But that's because Donnelly was a TV director, and there is that aesthetic to it. The performances are actually pretty good. Right. Um, Helen Crump is in it. That goes a long way for me. Land of the Lost is in it. That's not bad. Um, But then it all lands in a place that it feels like if David Cronenberg didn't care about what his movies meant... It would be this ending. Like if de- if the ending of Dead Ringers had gone horribly, horribly wrong, it's it's this. So, yeah, yeah, I think three stars. And I, I'm curious about you. Where where do you land on this? Um, and for myself, uh, I I was I was really looking at this, and initially I went two and a half stars because you know everything that we've talked about, but it just leaves me with such uh, an icky feeling afterwards that I just don't even feel right with the two and a half. I have to go two stars just because of that ending, that gut punch. ending. yeah. Um, and, and for all of you that aren't really understanding the the feeling that this film leaves you with, um, think of the Rob zombie films. Now this is what I assume Rob zombie watched growing up, you know, 1978. He's probably, six years old and his parents just leave him at the drive-in while they go work at the carnival and he just watched this on loop and you know that that has influenced his entire career this ending's just stuck with him he's just like you know what we're gonna turn people into fish people and fuck them (laughs) yeah like if he saw this in maniac or new york ripper or something like that on a double bill and that's just what he decided to that his life was gonna be <laughs> uh yet yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me uh and and the joke about the carnival is not that much of a joke his his family actually operated carnivals he he's carny folk so yeah i mean that shouldn't surprise anybody right <laughs> now as for the presentation by 88 films of this um I actually think this is about the best transfer I've seen from 88 films. Uh, the colors are very vibrant. Um, I didn't really notice any print damage or anything else like that. And those of you that have been listening through this the entire way know I really pay attention for this, pointing out seconds in films. Um, I didn't notice anything. I think the presentation of this was really good. Yeah, it looks good. It sounds good. Um yeah, it, it's a not, It's better than the toolbox murders should look. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, the special features on this are actually pretty decent. Um, we get a fairly comprehensive com- eh, commentary. Uh, try saying that three times fast. I couldn't even say it once. <laughs> With a slasher expert, uh, and then we get uh, kind of a featurette looking back at Cameron Mitchell's career. And we get an interview with uh, Kelly Nichols, the adult actress, the masturbator. 
And then we get the original trailer. So all in all for 88 films, that's that's not bad for special features. Yeah, I mean, it seems uh, it, it would have been nice to, I don't know, dredge up a director interview somewhere, but maybe one doesn't exist. Maybe nobody ever was like, you got to explain this to me. <laughs> like, what? why on earth did you do this? Cocaine um, is a hell of a drug. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Our little gift to the white man for what you did to us. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it, it's the inexplicable nature of this movie is the thing that I'm most interested in. And I, I think it's the one thing that the commentary has a tough time providing an answer to because they're more just analyzing the, the film as a whole and not necessarily the motivations. And what I, what I want is to hear either, you know, Diddy of the producer or, or Donnelly, the director, just sit down and say like, this is why it ends like this. I would actually really like a, a feature on this where it's just a bunch of people from the horror community actually discussing this, you know, just talking about what their take is. And, you know, well, I think they did the. I think that could be really interesting. You know, some actually industry involved, educated people. I mean, as much as I don't always enjoy his films, I think Eli Roth has some really good, uh, comments on films and i would actually appreciate hearing him and others speak about this yeah yeah i if you told me that eli roth and you know cronenberg is probably someone i would like to hear talk about right. this movie and and even rob zombie like you put those three people in a room and they're going to discuss the toolbox murders I'd, I'd watch a couple hours of that. Right. I, I mean, throw John Carpenter in there, too, just to see him chain smoking and be like, ah, fuck that movie. Right. I'm just <laughs> like, eh, who gives a shit? <laughs> I love him for that. Oh, I know. I know. He is he he is so punk rock, even <laughs> in his old age, because there is nothing more punk rock than just being like, you know, when people are like, hey, the thing is the greatest movie ever. Yeah, whatever. Get me. <laughs> I, I, but you made the greatest movie ever yeah whatever i, uh, I love i love the one interview where he's actually discussing rob zombies halloween and he doesn't actually talk about the film he just talks about rob zombie and how they actually had a nice conversation and he thought everything was kosher and he he was like i handed it over to rob i was like do whatever you want with it blah 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 and he's like, later I read an interview with that fucker and he's just like saying that I was cold to him and this and that. And he's like, so that piece of shit can fuck off. And I'm just like, holy shit, go John Carpenter. Right. I mean, that the fact that that dude is just touring, playing his music now, and that's just what he wants to do and what makes him happy and plays video games. And <laughs> like every now and again, we'll just pop his head out of the sand and be like, Far Cry 5 is pretty good. And then he's gone again for a while. <laughs> you're like, man, that guy, he he is, when when he passes, and, and uh. God willing, it's going to be another 50 years before that sad day comes. But when he goes, they will sing songs in the hills of just what an awesome individual he was. Like, so uncompromising to the last right of i'm i'm not gonna bullshit myself or anybody else i believe what i believe and i'm gonna tell you what that is and i don't think you can ask for anything more out of an artist i, I he's he is 
up there as far as I'm concerned in terms of just being a pure artist. It goes like Kubrick Carpenter, you know, <laughs> of they had a a vision and executed on it. And more than that, there was a morality and an ethos that comes through their films that is undeniable. And I would almost say Carpenter more than Kubrick. Like Kubrick comes off being real clinical and sterile. Right. Whereas Carpenter feels like, you know, like a copy of escape from New York should smell a little like urine. And it almost does. <laughs> it really does. You're just sitting there in your house at night watching it. And you almost get that whiff. Like did the dog piss on the floor? Right. Right. Did we take the garbage out? <laughs> Oh, it's this movie. It's just so gritty and dirty. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, you, you can't get me to say enough good things about Carpenter. It's he's. And I mean, you and I are in the same boat. We we both. If that if that guy would just hire us to carry him around on a kitty all the time or something, I, I'm there. Just like, yeah, you never have to touch the ground again, John. <laughs> I Let, yeah. I mean, I I actually respect and like Rob Zombie. I love his music. I I like most of his films, but in comparison, that I hands down, I'll take John Carpenter. He's absolutely one of my favorite directors ever. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's so good. Oh. <laughs> but back to this film. I, I oh, know right. We, we got to tear ourselves away from JC for a little bit. Mm-hmm. The real JC, yeah. the one that I worship. <laughs> the yeah, the the <laughs> one who. Uh, brought me back from the dead. Uh, uh, um, he is the way in the light. <laughs> uh, so for the 88 uh, slasher classics collection of this, um, I, I think that if you're actually a fan of this film, this is an excellent version to get. However, this is actually region locked, and that's why I had to send you a burned copy. I couldn't remember if you had a region free player or not, Bo. But um, it is region locked, so unless you have a region free Blu-ray player, this is no good for you. But nonetheless, uh, Blue Underground does have you covered. They have a a pretty decent version. Um, it, it's not bad. I mean, the framing's a little different, and the colors are a little darker, and there's more grain. It's it's obviously not as good of a transfer but it's still a decent option yeah i i obviously this is the preferred one it, it it's got the special features and it it does look and sound great and, and like i said probably more than the movie itself deserves but uh some care and attention went into this and and we can all debate later how much should have yeah yeah i i think less than it actually got because it looks great um Lastly, guys, if you've heard us talk about this the entire way through, haven't seen it and are curious, um, I do not think you should go out and buy this. I think if anything else, you should check this out online. Yeah, it's I think two, two, three bucks on Amazon if you want to stream it. Right. So right. And it's for two or three bucks. It, it again, if you're curious, if you're morbid, then I yeah. You you could do a whole lot worse. Yeah, if if you're ever sitting at home and it's just like, man, I, I kind of want to feel a little gross. Like, I need a shower, but I don't feel like I need to take a shower yet. This has got you covered. Watch this; that will cover that itch right there, and you will be jumping in the shower in no time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I like I like the the idea of like, hey, I feel like a shower, but I don't feel dirty yet. <laughs> 
Oh, thanks, Toolbox Murders. Yeah, this one most definitely has you covered there. It, you will feel fucking dirty afterwards. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, Bo, thank you so much for joining us, well, me, here. And uh, uh, it was great, man. I, I can't wait to uh, get down, sit down and talk to you again. Yeah, we'll do it again. This was awesome. I, I I appreciate it so much, and 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 thanks for the hard work you guys do on on the shows week in and week out. Like, you know, the stuff I ain't on, I still I still see those numbers, and you guys are week uh, week on week. You guys continue to, uh, to to do well. So nice job. Well, thank you. I, I I think people mostly initially listen for the interviews and sometimes they stick around for shit like this so all of you that are consistent thank you guys so much we we love you we appreciate you and as always we are deeply proud to be a part of legion podcasts nice and uh much past that people i just really in my heart i hope you all can just stay spooky
That was horrible. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.